When God designed the family as the foundation of culture, He did not leave its construction to chance. God revealed the blueprint clearly and convincingly. Those who listen to His voice and build according to the plan will enjoy a healthy family that creates other healthy families. It's great to see you, Providence family, and for all of you who are guests with us, welcome. Uh, We're glad that you have joined us. We always, uh, well, it's just a great honor uh, as you do, and so we are glad that you are here. Uh, always, uh, they're all they're all gone already, but a fantastic morning of worship, and uh, and so thank you to everybody that serves uh, in that way. Such gifts at Providence. It's such an amazing uh, thing for us to enjoy. But it is good to see you. I hope you've had a great week, and I hope that uh, you have seen uh, some of the kind, tangible, gracious ways that God has been at work in your life. Uh, we're going to be in God's Word, and so if you um, would, um, the third chapter of uh, Genesis is where we'll start. If, if uh, you're uh, into multitasking, you can also turn to Proverbs 31, and if you just want to go over the top, you can also turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. So we're going to be in three Three uh, um, just fantastic places of the Bible that's so informative to us, and, uh, and I pray that it will be encouraging to you as we look at the family. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at what God is doing, is that God cares so much about culture, He cares so much about us, that He created the family as the basic institution, the foundational thing that literally culture would be built upon, and because of its importance, He didn't want to leave its construction to chance, and so He told us, he chose, and then he instructed us in each one of these basic building blocks for the family. And over the last four weeks, we've looked at the fact that God created us male and female. So we look at gender. Uh, Then we looked at uh, the fact that uh, we're first single, and then we uh, are married. And last week, uh, we looked at sex, which was, uh, which was exciting. Just want to thank everybody for your text and emails and even the actual jars of jelly and peanut butter. And so if you were here last week and, and you know what I'm talking about, um, then, uh, then that makes sense. If not, just uh, forgive because I don't have time to go into all that this morning. Um, but, uh, but we're up to motherhood. And the fact is that every single one of us uh, feels something when you think of the word mother. For some, it's pain. Maybe you lost a mother. Uh, Maybe you're not a mother. Maybe you are a mother and you lost a child. Um, Maybe your mother was one who was not nurturing or not loving or or maybe left. Um, And so there's there's lots of reasons to where uh, some in this room uh, won't um, just naturally feel this this, uh, sympathy that wells up within your heart, this this deep love and affection towards the word mother. And yet there's some in the room uh, that when you hear the word mother, uh, it, um, uh, there's lots of warmth, there's lots of affection. Um, the fact is that every single one of us feel very strongly in either direction because God placed the importance of that within our heart. That's a category that God etched upon our heart. He knows it's important with, uh, within all of culture and certainly within the home. And so what we want to do is to look at what he has to say. And so even before we look at his word, I want to pray for us, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every person in this room that instinctively feels a sense of sorrow or loss or pain 
at the very words that I've already said, that we're going to spend some time looking at motherhood. I pray, Father, for those in the room also who feel threatened but what, by what I may say about motherhood. I pray, Father, that you would help us to rest in our heart as we draw near to you. I pray that you would open up your word to us in such a clear way that the parts of the Bible that we read this morning, that we would be inclined to believe, and that we would be inclined to want to understand, and that we would even have the courage uh, to obey. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to have wisdom. I pray that you would speak through weakness. And I pray that you would minister in every single person's heart, wherever they're at. God, whatever anxiety is there, whatever fear is there, whatever insecurity is there, whatever resentment is there, that you would use this time, Lord, that it would be formative in each one of our lives as we come and then as we walk out, that it would change maybe even the way that we view the rest of our life. And so we ask that you would do what we can't do, that you would do a miracle, that you would do the supernatural. We've seen the natural. We see it every day in our own life. and It's not that impressive. So God, would you, would you burst through all of our categories and all of our expectations of what this time will be like And would you speak to us words of kindness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to every woman in this room and to every little girl, I want to say that you are more. And you're more um, in a lot of different ways. You are more than the reflection that you see in a mirror. You are more than the number of heads that turn as you walk into a room. You are are more than how men view you. You are more than an object. You're more than a number. And you're more than a victim. You are more than the combination of all of your strengths. And you're more than all the sum of your your mistakes. You are are more uh, than the meals that you have prepared. And you are more than all the promotions that you have earned. You are more than the number of your children. And even more than how closely they now walk with the Lord. One day there was a woman. She was in a crowd as Jesus was walking by. And she yells out, blessed is the womb that bore you. Speaking to Jesus. And it's interesting that he corrects her. She says, blessed is the woman that had the privilege to be able to nurse you and hold you and care for you and nurture you and nourish you and feed you and clean you and hug you and comfort you. And he corrects her and he says, blessed rather. You're close, but you're not really on it quite yet is what he says. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see, ladies, you have been created in the image of God with unique capacity to be able to show the rest of humanity something that is true about God. And you've also been created in the image of God with the supreme calling to know him and to glorify him and to do his will. There, is, there are smaller callings and there are supreme callings. And we normally get hung up on the smaller callings. Where you do this? Is it in the house, outside of the house? How many people? The supreme calling that God has on your life, the blessed women in this room, are those that yield to his word and show us something true about God and yield to his word 
to know him and to glorify him and then to know and to do his will. And you see, God gives us clues of how to find his will. He's given us the Bible. He's given us one another. He's given us his spirit, but he's also given us giftedness, capacity, and ability. You see, there are some things that if you are not gifted in something, it's clearly not your life calling. That's not why you're here. It's not why you're here. But then some of us, we have different gifts. We have different callings. You see, when it comes to a woman, you are more than the capacity to have and nurture children. And yet, ladies, God has given you the capacity to have and to nurture children. And without which the family will fold in a generation. And so today we explore motherhood, which is a facet of womanhood, which is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to humanity on the earth. And so we begin with a question, and the question is simple. What is motherhood? And you may be thinking, well, man, we've got to teach this guy everything. What is motherhood? Well, motherhood is the state of a woman who's had a baby. And ordinarily, I would agree with you, except that the Bible says otherwise. And so there's something deeper, there's something more to motherhood than what we normally categorize as a mom. It probably includes, in fact, it does include what we would put into the category, but then the Bible goes deeper and wider in every direction. And so I want to explore this. I want to show you three things that the Bible tells us about motherhood, what this gift is to our life. The first is this, is that motherhood is God's provision of nurture to the world. It's his provision of nurture to the world. And you see this in Genesis chapter 3. Now, before we read verse 20, you probably already read it, but if you haven't, let me set the stage because the first three chapters are pretty remarkable. He's setting the stage. He's giving us categories for the rest of humanity to look back upon and say, this is God's plan. This was his original design of all these things. And the Bible says that his plan, it began in a pretty stunning way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he begins creating things. And he says that he created plants and he created the sun. And he created animals and all these wonderful things. And it says in their kind. And then he says that he created us in his kind. Male and female were created in God's image. And then he took the male and female that we looked at two weeks ago and join them together in marriage, and then commission them in chapter 1, verse 28, to multiply, to fill the earth with children. And what you find in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 are, are words that, that just paint the picture of everything that you see. There's intense beauty in everything that's there. There's grand design. There's, there's, there's intricate architecture and engineering, not only in botany, but in humanity, in relationships, and In everything that's happening in the world, there's perfect peace. There's no strife. There's no fighting. There's no blaming. Nothing like that is happening. And there's perfect clarity in his will. There's perfect clarity regarding what they should eat and what they should not eat. And it's emphasized by the generosity of God. And then tragically, Adam and Eve, they doubted God's generosity and they sinned against him. They broke fellowship with God, just as each one of us do. And very soon, a tidal wave swept over the garden, over the earth, over humanity. And that tidal wave was one of brokenness. It first showed itself in shame and insecurity and being naked. And suddenly, they're fighting. There's strife within this amazing love relationship. Now, they're separated, hiding in different bushes 
from each other. They're saying, you find yours and I'll find mine and it's all about me. Suddenly there's blaming. Where at one time it was, this is the woman. Now it's, it's your fault. It's her fault. It's everybody's fault except my fault. There's pain. In fact, he, when God says, all right, this is what you did. Now this is, the, this is my response. This is the curse. He says, there's going to be pain. There's going to be toil. There's going to be futility. And notice what it says in verse 19. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so there is a promise of death. He's already promised death in chapter 2, verse 17, when he says, you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, how is the Bible going to respond to chapter 3, verse 19, when there's a tidal wave of brokenness everywhere, and the end of everything is you and I, we're all going to die. And what's amazing is the very next thing it says in verse 20. It says, and the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. This is the first time the word mother is used. Now, this is remarkable. In chapter 3, verse 15, we have the first picture of hope when he says that there will be a seed or a son that's born of a woman that will stomp on the head of evil. This is the first promise of Christ, the rescuer who would come and deliver us. And yet what's amazing is the very first medicine was motherhood. The first hope was Jesus Christ, but Jesus wasn't there yet. He hadn't come yet. In fact, God said, it's going to be a while. So I need to give you some ointment right now. I need to give you some medicine right now for everything that you see, for, for, for all the mess that you've made of things, for all the brokenness that you've seen. And do you know what the very first medicine was? It was mom's. It was motherhood, he said. Now, what is this medicine? Well, you look at this picture, if it's not already up, and you think every single one of us knows instinctively that if you had to put money on, is this a mother or an aunt or just a neighbor or this is a first grade teacher? Every one of us instinctively look at this picture when there's tears in a kid's eyes holding something, there's, there's, there's some weight upon the child. We just naturally think this must be mom. It must be mom. And this is the picture that you find in the medicine of mom. God did it for two reasons. The first is that God gave woman childbearing ability to preserve humanity. (laughs) Have you ever thought if he didn't do this human, the whole human race, it would have been done in two. We're done. There's two of you. You both sin. You're going to die. All right. Well, that was fun. That That was a great garden, a great experiment. No, what did he do? He said, you know what? I want more. I want more of you. I want, to, I want humanity to be with me. He's thinking about us. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing that he, that he did. And the second is that God gave women nurturing ability to comfort humanity. He gave a woman the ability to instinctively draw towards tears instead of away from tears. And this is one of the gifts that God has given to us. You see, the clearest synonym to motherhood within the Bible is the word nurture. And if you trace the word nurture back to its origins, you get the word nourishment, to nourish, to give what's not there so that it can grow. It's to look at a plant or a child or a family or a church or a friendship or whatever it is and say, you know what? This is the nutrients that these people need right now. And God says, I've placed that instinct. I've placed that wisdom, that discernment to know what is needed in a woman. 
It's a gift to every single one of us. And some of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, well, mom, that'd be, that'd be great. If, I mean, if I could be a mom. One of the most amazing things that you see here, though, is that Eve is called mother before she has any children. Now, this is supposed to be prescriptive. This is revealing to every single woman in the world that woven deep within the fabric of womanhood is the ability to mother and nurture and nourish a world that's living under the canopy of brokenness. Years ago, I mean, like literally, I was in high school, so years ago, uh, my friend, his name is Danny, uh, I, uh, he, he, he calls and he goes, Brian, you're not going to believe this. Our house is on fire. It burned down. We're all, we're all safe. So I went over to his house. And I'll never forget, just driving up, I parked on the side and looked. And there's memories when, when you see something. All of us know what it feels like. When, when you see something and literally 25 years later, you can see the exact imprint, the exact image. I'll never forget what I saw. I look out. And of course, there's a fire. The house is almost to the ground, but there's still lots of smoke and lots of flames. The family and many of the neighbors are outside. A lot of the men, the neighbors, as well as Mr. Hall, the owner of the house, is just, they're walking around. They're counting stuff. They're, 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 they're just walking around like this. And, and over on the side, there's Mrs. Hall, four daughters, Danny, and about three or four other uh, ladies in the neighborhood. And it's interesting what's happening. The men are walking around counting what's been burned. And the women are all over on the side. And you could not tell from the back which one was mom and which one wasn't mom. They were just all women. They were all mothering. They were all nurturing. They were all nourishing what those children at that very moment needed. And this is the picture that you see. is that God's love for us is displayed in these long and loving arms of motherhood. And if this is the case, Providence, then let's set out to nourish our circle of influence. Ladies, whatever your circle of influence is, you can be a mother to those people. Now, you can obviously take that too far to where it's irritating, right? And a woman of wisdom will know how far to take it in each relationship. But the fact is, is that you can find ways to nurture. You can find ways to nourish those individuals, and it can look so different in so many different situations. It can be encouragement for a friend. What you need right now are these words. It can be food for your family or maybe another family. It may be ministry where you utilize your spiritual gifts and abilities in order to nourish and nurture this family of faith. It may be in the workplace that you provide skilled management for those people so that there's clarity and direction and order for the people who are working there. It may be that you nourish the country in leadership or the city. You see, you get to the Bible and you find that one of Israel's leading ladies at one point in time, was her name was Deborah, a judge. And do you know what she calls herself? Judges chapter 5, verse 7 says, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. And you know what's interesting is the Bible doesn't go to any effort or extent to tell us anything about her natural children, even if she had children. No, what we find here is a woman that says in this sphere of influence, in this circle of influence that I have, and the people who are around me, I can mother them. I can nurture them. I can nourish them with what they need. 
In her case, it was to lead a country. In your case, it may be to lead a family or a friend network or a life group or something here at the church or something in our community. But whatever it is, that God has given you the capacity to nourish broken people. And this is a gift to the whole world. The whole world. So motherhood is a provision of nurture to the world. The second thing is motherhood is God's provision of sacrifice to the family. To the family. And this is where we get to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31 at the very end is, is, is one that, that, uh, that I've read to you before. And so there's a good chance that you've already read this before. But I want to read it in its entirety starting in verse 10. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 says this, An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. This is a poem. It's an acrostic poem. You know what that is? It's a poem to where, like if we did it in English, I would say, I'm going to go for the alphabet. And I want you just to think about a word that describes mothers that begins with the letter A, adorable, B, beautiful, C, caring. This is what they do in Hebrew. See, if you had a Hebrew Bible and you could read Hebrew, you would look and starting at verse 10, B, the second part of verse 10, you would actually find the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, a word that begins with that. Now, why is this important? It's only important because it's poetic, which means that this is not everything that there is about a God-fearing woman. This is not an exhaustive list. It's a creative list. It's, a, it's, it's an attempt to be creative and artistic to say this is what a woman who fears God looks like. This is what she does. And so I want to boil it down to just a few truths, at least for this morning. The first is this. What we find here is that her godly heart is expressed in practical ways. Her godly heart is expressed in practical ways. 
And this is true of all godliness. You see, godliness is not an idea, or I should say it's not merely an idea to be discussed in a room. It's not a collection of words, it's a collection of deeds. Godliness, when it is godliness, it literally busts out of theory and into practice. It affects people, it changes things. Godliness in a woman changes people's life. It's noticeable by the eyes and not just by the ears or by the mind. The second thing we see here is that her godly heart is willing to sacrifice. This woman, this creative, artistic display of womanhood, this person is parting with all kinds of precious things in order to bless her family and others. You just read through the various things of what would have to take place. What would she have to part with in order for these things to happen? She would have to part with her time. She would have to part with her comfort, her sleep, her resources, her energy, her prayers, her words. All of these things, they're, they're leaving her with no promise that she'll ever get them back. And she willingly allows them because the godly heart says, I want to change things. I want to nurture. I want to nourish the world that's broken. And the third thing that we see here is that her sacrifice transforms things for good. Things are, things are better than they were before she got there. You see, a godly woman is like a prism. It's like a prism that takes in light and then turns it into color. You can see it here. right? If the light goes out, there's no color. But once you add light to a woman, she instinctively... And God-givenly has the ability to create all kinds of color that benefits humanity, that benefits her family, that benefits her marriage, that benefits her friends. And this is what she does. You see, the cold house is made warm because of her. Foolish children are made wise because of her. An empty kitchen is now filled with food because of her. Real estate is now secured for profit because of her. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1 says that a wise woman builds her house. But with her own hands, a foolish woman tears hers down. (laughs) Ladies, listen. God didn't call you to build a home because you couldn't or shouldn't build other things. He called you to this noble task because there's nothing more influential. There's no institution more influential to culture than the family. And the home is where the family lives. The home is where the family loves. The home is where the family learns. It is the most powerful entity on the earth. It is the foundational building block to all of culture. Within the scriptures, before there's education, before there's government, before there's leadership, before there's anything, there's the family. He begins with the family. And he made your hands so strong. He made your arms so strong in order to put something so important in them. And so, Providence, let's release our joy in sacrificing for our family. You see, all life-changing love and all life-transforming joy is rooted in substitutionary sacrifice. This is the model that's changed our life. It says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He looked and unleashed his joy at something that was sacrificial. It's something that he was going to have to pay. He was going to lose 
so that you and I would gain. And this is the reality that you find within the world is that all life-changing love and all life-transforming joy is rooted in somebody sacrificing so someone else can be blessed. And it's interesting, the only way for the family to thrive is for the more mature to sacrifice for the less mature, for the more wise to sacrifice for the one who's acting more foolish. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says to every one of us, walk in Love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, the culture would tell you, ladies, that your joy is found in being the point of all of your sacrifice. Our culture will tell you that you will feel more content, more at peace, more self-actualized if you are the target of all of your energy. And yet the Bible tells us that only when other people are the point, in particular when Jesus is the point and you're pointing with your sacrifice these people to him, that is the home of joy. That is where peace is found. I know there's probably somebody saying, okay, this is where the dude up front says we got to stay home and we can't have a career. No, it's not what I'm saying because an outside job may be just the sacrifice that is needed for your family. What I'm saying is few pleasures are sweeter than to see your children walking in the truth. There are few pleasures sweeter than to get to the end of your life and to look back upon a a family and a home that's healthy and that's whole because of the investments that you made. And when you get to that place and you see that treasure in the field, you won't regret your sacrifices. You won't regret what you didn't do. If you see that at the end of your life. And so God tells you to unleash your joy in this way. And I realize that sometimes this is so hard to see. This truth is so hard to see through all the promises that's offered by a broken world. But don't forget that the broken world is confused. God is not confused. He knows exactly how he created you. He knows exactly what's in your best interest. And so motherhood is God's provision of nurture to the world and his provision of sacrifice to the family. And third, it's his provision of instruction to children. And this is where we get to the last text, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is written by a man. His name is Paul. And Paul is in a problem. He's got a problem going on, and that is that he's accused Not only accused, but he's condemned as a criminal. And his crime is that he's preaching that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's already been sentenced. And he is very soon to literally have his head cut off. Because he will not recant that Jesus Christ is Lord. And do you know what he does at the very end of his life? He's got a few days, maybe, maybe a few hours. He doesn't know how long he has left. He has just a a limited amount of time left to make one more impression in the world. And do you know what he does? He writes a letter. And he could have written to churches. He could have written to cities of churches. And instead, he boils everything down. He says, I want to invest in one man, the man Timothy. Now, you know this. At one point in time, Timothy was a boy. And we're told in the Bible that Timothy not only grew up, but even when he was a grown man, that his dad was an unbeliever. 
His dad did not trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so he grew up in the home without a biblical model of masculinity, of fatherhood. He didn't have that. And so Paul becomes friends with Timothy. And for 15 years, he mentors him like he's his own son. At the very end of his life, he says, listen, I want to write you a letter. And the reason is because Timothy is discouraged. Timothy's a pastor. In the churches in Ephesus, you remember our last study, we looked at the book of Ephesians. All right, well, Timothy was the pastor of those churches. And he's so discouraged, he wants to quit. He's feeling timid. He's tired of the persecution. He's tired of the ridicule. He's tired of the anonymous notes. He's, he's just tired. He's tired of all of it. And he's saying, I want to quit I want to go up and find a cave with some seeds and a wife and my end time posters and just wait for Jesus to come back. And and Paul, he comes to you, you can't quit. You can't quit. They're about to cut my head off and I'm passing this baton to you. You have to keep going. And do you know what he says to him in this letter? What does that have to do with moms? Well, check this out. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve as to my answers with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. You see what he's saying there? He goes, I can die today with a clear conscience because I know Jesus Christ. I've been justified by faith. He's forgiven me of all my sin. Verse 4, and I remember your tears and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So surely this was a confusing home. You have a dad who's not a believer. You have a mom and a grandmother who are. Two worldviews, two operating systems, two kings. And yet these godly women said, I'm going to impart what I know to you, little Timothy, because one day he's got a plan for you. You skip over to chapter three. Look what it says in verse 12. He says to him, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's saying, Timothy, this is, don't be surprised at what's happening. This is all promised. This should be expected. Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But look what he says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says, continue in what you have learned because you know who taught you. Who taught him? His mom and his grandma. That's who taught him. Do you see the long arms of mom in the life of children? Now this teaching, there's dual responsibility. We'll look at this next week when we look at fatherhood. Proverbs chapter one, verses eight and nine says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head. But do you see the long arms of mom? We're here decades later, Paul was leaning on the investment of these two godly women to urge this grown man to lean on the gospel, to reject passivity and take responsibility and fight to the end. 
to keep running for Jesus who ran for him. And so Providence, let's grow in faith and impart it to our children. I want to encourage you to grow in your faith. To make sure that your faith is your faith and not someone else's faith. You see, every child will grow. And every child who does grow eventually learns out if their parents' faith was sincere or if it was phony. And chances are, for children that look and they see that their parents' faith was phony, it makes it very difficult for them not to conclude that their God was phony. And so my question is, have you admitted your need of Jesus Christ? Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you confessed him as Lord of your life? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the book of John says, This is my Father's will, that you believe upon him whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. You see, salvation, it begins with an acknowledgement of saying, I cannot save myself. That's what you must repent of. I cannot save myself. I am a sinner. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. What that means is the only way for you to earn your salvation is to die. You can't actually actually say you can't earn your salvation. Right. You would have to die. Blood has to be spilled. It has to be shed so that you can be forgiven of your sin. So the Bible says that either you die for your sin or Jesus can die for your sin. And Jesus did die for your sin. And so you must first admit that you can't save yourself. You must believe in him. And then you must confess him as Lord of your life. See, one of the tragedies that takes place when people who are young and they don't really have a sincere faith, they have children. And then they think, you know what? These children need a moral compass. Let's take them to church. And then they come and they insist that we go to church because that's where the kids are going to find some moral standard. And then all of a sudden those kids go home and they see the people that are forcing them to come to church to hear about the moral standard that they're not walking according to the moral standard and it only confuses them. It makes them think it's all fake. It's all phony. And he says, I know your faith's sincere and the reason your faith is sincere is because mama's faith was sincere. Grandma's faith was sincere. Our children need to know these things. Moms, can your kids... Look at your life and conclude that you believe that the Bible is reliable. Not that you're perfect as a mom, but that the Bible is reliable, that even when you fail, that you go back to the Bible and the Bible reveals your sin and you come out to them and you say, you know what, this is what I read in the Bible and this is not what mom did. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Sincerity of faith. When you have it, you can impart it. You can give it and our children need it. Let me close with a story about a man named Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was um, an amazing preacher, one of God's, one of his best. And Spurgeon speaks about his mom frequently. And one of the things that he tells us is that every Sunday night, Charles's mom would gather all the kids together including Charles, and would read the scriptures to him and to them and then would explain them and then pray for their kids. And he remembers her prayer. And this is one of the things that she prayed. Hear this. She would pray, Now, O Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish in unbelief. And my soul 
will bear swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. (laughs) He goes on and he says, the thought of my mom bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience. How can I ever forget her tearful eyes and how can I ever forget when she bowed on her knee and wrapped her arms around my neck and prayed to God, oh God, that my son might know you and live before you. You see, these kinds of moments are unforgettable. They propel people through difficulty later in life. And so moms and dads, let's grow in faith and impart it to our children. I beg you this morning to embrace the truths of God's word. Sometimes I sit and imagine the impact of a world if all the women, all the women in the world at the same time collectively chose to reject God's plan for motherhood. It's a terrifying picture. It's sickness with no medicine. So for those women who are here today who are yielding to Christ, And who are seeking to impart nurture and sacrifice and instruction to this generation and the next. We, your church family, we rise and we call you blessed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness to us. A kindness that leads us to turn, to repent of our sin. A kindness that that leads us to want to lean into you. And I pray today for those who are here today who this may be new for them. Even a relationship with Jesus may be new to them. I pray that you would invite them to yourself even now. And I pray for us as a church family that you would help us to celebrate and honor all that is true and right, not only about men and women, but also about fatherhood and motherhood. And so we lay our lives before you and now we sing to you out of a full heart. We give to you out of full heart knowing that you've been generous to us and we want to respond to you in faith. So God, we acknowledge you. We love you. We thank you we can sing to you now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.